This is The Culture. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Wave podcast. My name is Darian Scalamoni. I'm going to be one of your hosts for this episode. I am joined as always by the host of the Star Wars Mark of Balance podcast, Mark Iacobino. We're talking Ahsoka season one finale, episode eight. I'm going to let you do the honors of the title of the episode and just give me your broad thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, first, I just want to say this has been so much fun. And thank you for giving me a platform to come on and talk to your followers. This has been great to be a part of the Cinema Wave and Culture Wave family. So thank you for having me on. Thank you, Zach, Mikey, and Liz for producing some of the episodes. So I'm looking forward to a lot more Star Wars conversations in the future if you guys will have me. And yeah, what's this episode called? The, this, lion, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Yeah, so they, they do it. They do a take on on Chronicles of Narnia, right? And you're, yeah. by the way, it's been an absolute pleasure and a blessing to have you be in studio with us talking Star Wars because I am just a novice. You are the master. Oh, I am the Padawan. <laughs> so I appreciate everything you've been able to bring to the channel and and to all our socials and everything like that. But so the name of this episode is the Jedi, the Witch, and the Warlord. Yeah. So which is definitely it's it's inspired, I think, by Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is an episode that again we've been anticipating for a while. We're not we weren't sure if this was gonna be the end of a season. We weren't sure if this was gonna be a limited series, if the next thing we're gonna see with this storyline is gonna be the continuation of maybe Dave Filoni's movie. Based on what we see at the end of this episode, what where do you think they're gonna go from here? Before we even dive into spoilers, mm-hmm. where do you think in your prediction? What do you think is next for these characters based on the ending and the conclusion of the season? Yeah, before we get into it, I think, yeah, I don't want to talk about the ending of it. Uh, but I think just based on the scope and the scale of the way this ends and all of the threads that are open, I just I don't think a movie is enough time for them to explore all of the things that they basically set up by the end of this episode. So I think this is setting up a season two. I know a season two has not been greenlit yet, but I think to cram all of the stuff that they set up in the end of this episode into a movie would be a pretty impossible task, if not moving into a trilogy of movies, which again is a possibility, a Thrawn trilogy of movies. Um, But I I don't know if they know yet. Disney is very good at not knowing what they want to do with Star Wars. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah. I think there's still a good amount of time that they can play around with going from the end of where this story is going to go leading us into the sequel trilogy, right? Yeah. So what is it about 15 years? Yeah. I something like that, like 20, 20 years. But again, you know, it's hard with the time. Yeah. Yeah. So there, they have time to play around with. And I do agree with you that I would find it hard to believe if this becomes just a one season thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially because I think that there's that you talked about it a little bit on your pod. But that mandate of maybe eight episodes might have been something that hampered it. Mm-hmm. But it does start with writing, which we were just talking about um, right before we started rolling. So give me your thoughts in terms of where do you think this ranked for you in terms of sort of living up to its expectations from where you were at, not only before the series started, but as the series continued to progress, was it satisfying enough for you? Yeah, I think halfway through the season, I think episode six, I was very excited. I was very satisfied with it. I think going into the show, I was always very adamant that I am a bigger proponent for continuing the story and animation. So it had high expectations just because the animation that's came before it has been so great and has been some of the best stars we've ever gotten. And I didn't expect, you know, Ahsoka or Sabine to have character arcs that were better than what we've seen in animation. So I think when I came into this show, I really just wanted them to stick the landing on continuing them faithfully and introducing these new characters like Balin and Shin and bringing Thrawn to live action was something that I was actually excited for over animation. So I think for me, I was excited. I was taking it as I went. And I think in the end, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm fully satisfied with how it ends. Um, And again, we'll attribute that to writing. We can attribute that to possibly Dave being maybe constrained by budget or episode count because in animation, you know, you're going to get a little less budget, but you're going to get more bang for your buck overall Mm -hmm. with live action. You know, you're going to be on a strict budget and it's going to be in the hundreds of millions. And so when those people giving you the money are like, Hey, make it eight episodes, you kind of got to do it. So, um, yeah, as an animation fan, I think 
a big part of me now having the whole package would have rather seen this in animation because I think the story would have been able to be fleshed out a lot more. I It's hard for me because I haven't yeah. seen any of yeah. the animation. <laughs> having said that, though, I do, from my perspective, I enjoyed the series as a whole, but it fell into this trap of, unfortunately, what I think a lot of these recent live-action Star Wars Disney Plus series have gone into, which was you have these really great highs that really feel like Star Wars, and it feels like what you grew up on. It feels like the things that I appreciated from when I saw Revenge of the Sith when I was young in the theaters, and I got that feeling of it in moments in this series, especially episode five. Mm -hmm. But with the last two episodes, it still feels like Star Wars, but it just feels like something is missing. Mm -hmm. And part of it I do think is attributing to maybe the script writing. And the thing that sucks about it is for lack of a better term, it's like sometimes they let Dave cook and yeah. it's really great when they do that. But mm -hmm. when they're like, all right, we need to wrap this up. And by the way, don't forget, like we want a season two of the show mm -hmm. so that we can continue to build on the story. And we have a little bit more time for you to build up to your movie. Mm -hmm. Cause I think his movie is slated to come out in 2025 based on now six or seven. Okay. So it was after the Ray movie, so that makes a little bit more sense anyway yeah. too. Right. So, to me, it just felt like there are moments that were earned and moments that felt good within the last two episodes of this series. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they're not good at playing into that. Well, we could see another season. Like, yeah. you kind of want to leave it up in the air, right? Like, yeah. Obi-Wan is something now that they've even talked about. You and like, I would love to come back for another one. But the thing is, season one wasn't well received. Yeah. And it's like that was your moment to to really suck people in. And if it was good enough, even if the story was succinct – there's a possibility you can make it work, right? And sometimes yeah. that's that's forced and you don't want that part of it either. Mm -hmm. But then there are moments in this, like the relationship between Ahsoka and Sabine in this season, I thought had its peaks and valleys, but it wrapped up in a really nice bow. Mm -hmm. And even though we had like that conversation between them on the outside of the ship, as we start to get into the details of the episode, <laughs> um, I enjoyed that. I thought that was a really good moment between the two of them. I thought the writing in that, scene was solid and i like the scene right before that that comes when uh ezra is talking to hu yang about the building of the lightsaber and uh how hu yang's been on that ship for years and he knew kanan and all that mm -hmm. like th that was a really nice thing and i don't know if that's even probably known already previously to the people who have watched the animated versions but those two scenes to me were well earned and it pulled off what it was supposed to pull off the action scenes to me the only thing that I felt kept it going for me, which I thought was terrific, and I would give him the MVP of the series, is the score. I thought the score throughout the whole show, and especially this last episode, Kevin Kiner, who's great always, mm -hmm. but there's something that kept the pacing going and it kept me distracted from some things. <laughs> and then when I went back to like rewind and watch a couple scenes over again, I was like, yeah, the scene isn't great. I think the music really helps it out. And I think that the pacing wasn't as good. And it felt just very sped up to get us to a point. And even at the end of the series, it wraps up in a way where it's really not good for any of our heroes, but they still make it feel like it is. And that was something else, too, where I was like, that had to have been something that was mandated by the producers because uh, they still want the audience members to leave being like, oh, yeah, you know, like our heroes, they're, yeah. they're doing OK, I mean, even they, though we all know they're not. Yeah, I, I do agree. The uh, the tonal shift at the end of, of them, you know, losing essentially and, and Thrawn getting away and then them kind of be like happy in, in a way, like they return to the Hermocrat people and they're a bit happy. And I think. That is, you know, in a good way, classic Dave, like a bittersweet ending. Like I think Ahsoka in that moment is saying, you know, we have to just move on and go on to the next thing. I think, you know, her whole arc this series is that she's so distracted by what she's gone through and what's happened in the past. And I think this ending was meant to symbolize her saying, like, we failed today, but that doesn't mean we can't be better tomorrow. We're going to take what we have now on this planet and we're going to move forward and forget about the past. So... I think that's what he was going for, but I do agree with you that the tonal shift at the end was a little bit weird. Like, you would think the mood would be a bit more of a downer. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I love that you brought up Kevin Kiner. I think this episode, especially the ending, um, there's a reprisal of a score from Rebels at a very significant moment in Rebels with Ahsoka and Ezra and Darth Vader um, called 
where the moon walks and the sun sails. I think that's what it's called. Um, I think it's a line from Lord of the Rings. But if you haven't heard it, go check it out on streaming. It's one of the best Star Wars tracks. And I love that he used it at the end here for the montage scene and then into the end credits. So always got to give the the score the shout out. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of stuff you brought up there. I'm trying to like weave in. Yeah, well, I, I guess I'll try to simplify yeah. it for you. Yeah. Give me Give me a moment that stood out to you in this finale that stood out in a good way and give me something that stood out to you in a way that you kind of were like, uh, I really don't like the way that they did that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, ironically, the two scenes you really liked, there was moments in each of them that I, again, really loved, but I think there were moments in each of them that I didn't feel fully earned. Like the moment when Hugh Yang essentially finally tells the audience what happened between Ahsoka and Sabine and why is that, that why there's that tension with essentially Sabine feeling the need to, I guess, be trained as a Jedi so that she could either avenge her people and Ahsoka seeing that and seeing that as a way for her to go down a path of darkness, kind of like what her master did, putting the her own ambitions above the galaxy and, you know, Ahsoka feeling that she might fall into that and she doesn't want to pass that on to her, her Padawan. And I thought that was weird that Hugh Yang was the one to tell us that to Ezra and neither of these characters were part of that conflict between Ahsoka and Sabine. I felt like that should have been hashed out between them, but it seems like okay. they kind of just move past it, which I guess is fine. Um, and then with the scene out on the wing, again, I agree. I like the sentiment of it. I really love the moment where, you know, Ahsoka says, Anakin was always by my side. He was yeah. stuck by me. And as someone that's seen that through Clone Wars and through Rebels, like that really did hit me. I was like, that's a really great moment. But again, it feels weird that the last time we saw Ahsoka was when she was very disappointed that Sabine made that choice. And then the next scene we see them together, she's kind of reconciled it. Mm. And I don't know if there was that transition to see her kind of look in the mirror and say, Sabine made a bad choice, but Ezra's alive and that's okay and we'll just move forward. So I don't know. Did that did that I guess you really like that, but yeah, and I actually not not there? that it's yeah, I see where you're coming from, but and this is I think this is gonna lead to an interesting conversation because we often don't like completely disagree, mm -hmm. but there are moments that stick out to me within this season, this contained season of Ahsoka, that at least lead me down the path to see that both of those are earned. So okay, yeah. in terms of the Hu Yang part of it, mm -hmm. Hu Yang to me, who he represents, who again, series MVP. I've loved <laughs> every <laughs> yeah, single yeah. thing and I love droids, but uh, when we see earlier on, so he has the conversation with Sabine, I think it's episode two or episode three, mm -hmm. where he's talking about what she needs to do in order to really buy into the training of being a Padawan to Ahsoka. You have that moment. So think of it again as like a three arcs, three act structure sort of thing. That's the first act. The second act is when they split up and he's so upset about the situation. He's talking to her and he's like, I told him they should have stuck together. And he, I feel like he's just this fatherly, this weird fatherly figure to the two of them. Mm -hmm. And he's always by one of their sides. Like he's always the one getting in between the two of them, making sure that the relationship is still staying strong enough to build on what this potential Jedi order could be. If he's even aware of that, who knows? But to me, that just felt like something that in terms of the writing that made sense to me, but the he, way that he delivers it to Ezra, not Sabine, but in front of Sabine. No, she left at that. She point. had left at that point. Yeah, because he because Ezra turns to her and say, "Oh, did Ahsoka teach you this?" And she had gone. And then Ezra turns to Hu Yang and says, "What happened between them?" Oh, then, okay. So in that right. scene, Sabine's not even in the equation. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I that can feels understand like that. That part was of just it. exposition then to like us instead of like a conflict between the characters. Okay. So I was just it just felt a little off. I mean, that might be a little nitpicky, yeah. but. Um, that's, that's where I was coming from. And then at least in terms of the Ahsoka on the conversation on the wing, yeah. I do agree with you that like for the audience, that's hard cause you're not seeing the actual transition mm -hmm. and the progression of where her character is going, but you do see visually and in terms of the way that Rosario's acting comes across from episode at the end of episode five to the remainder of the season that there's this like lightness over her, even in bat, like not She's smiling a lot. Yeah. Yes. And there's just there's uh, there's like a weight that's been lifted off her shoulders and she feels that she can start to handle things with a lot less stress. And there's like a reliability on her force ghost being there for her whenever she would need even. In, and you see that at the end of the series. Um, so I thought that that was something where you still get enough of understanding where her character is mentally that she has reconciled with that mm -hmm. because I think she's reconciled with pretty much everything i mean yeah. even the only time you kind of see a little bit of that 
is a little after that, or is towards the end of the episode when Thrawn is finally talking to her, which was probably my favorite. That's a great part of the episode. Yeah, so I really t- like touch that. on the, touch on that a little bit too because I also love that. Yeah, I mean, I I really just loved the fact that this was our first moment where Thrawn could actually talk to our heroes. I think up until this point, he had only been communicating with the people in his inner circle, and I really just like when a villain can kind of not you know talk about his plans to the to the heroes, but just you know, as an adversary, just speak face to face. And I love that he was just gloating like you're chasing us, but we're gone already. Like, I'm just telling you right now, I beat you today. I can beat you. I've proven that I can beat you. I beat you because I know you and I knew your master and I knew what happened to your master. And who's to say that that can't happen to you? And it's just like such a great thing to say to someone. He's like laying the groundwork. Demean her and be like, damn wow he just like completely dismantled me and then he's like all right long live the empire zoom i I love the way that was all set up um and yeah you you just gotta love when a villain can just gloat (laughs) dude so and he also has a part of in that scene where i think he says see i wish i knew the exact line but it it kind of insinuates that he hasn't been face to face with her is that ever or is that just he's talking about more in terms of like no he hasn't he hasn't been face to face with her ever, ever throughout yeah, even I, animation I think uh in rebels by the end of season two yeah she had already been out of the picture and Thrawn was introduced in season three so yeah they never have come face to face this was the first time they've fought together so he's really saying like you know we haven't come face to face respect the battle today but i beat you and i know you <laughs> that's going to be such an interesting thing when when we do see that kind of come to fruition to see mm-hmm. him going face to face with Ahsoka knowing that he hasn't and, and I, I know in, in film and television obviously he hasn't been face to face with Luke but in one of the novels it's like a big thing is a battle between him and Luke that, no? that was the original trilogy of books by Timothy Zahn back in the 90s that's now not canon okay so that was like the heir to the empire trilogy that people always talk about that is when it's the new Jedi Order versus so here's my question too though so yeah feloni's movie what is that one called again it does not have a name yet. it doesn't have a title no okay do you think that they might try to canonize that storyline and make it air to an empire because that I, that's a theory i've seen yeah they, i do think it would make some sort of sense because at the same time we do know that luke is trying to start the jedi the new jedi order at the moment because in terms of the correlation of the series he was trying that with grogu mm-hmm. in mandalorian yeah. So I think there's pieces that they're pulling from like Thrawn and, and like the remnant. Um, but there is a lot of elements. I haven't read the books, but I've, you know, I've seen enough deep dive YouTube mm-hmm. videos yeah, to yeah. kind of get some of gist. but there are some elements in that book that are very out there. Uh, I believe like the Yuzang Vong or like this other species that's involved. Like there are some pretty wacky things going on. I know also, I believe Luke has a relationship with someone and they have a, they have, Kids, I I believe again. I haven't read the books. I'm okay. a terrible Star Wars fan, but no, they're not, can- not. They're not canon, so you know, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> obligated to. But uh, I am planning on reading them. But there there are elements I I definitely feel that Dave is going to pull from the expanded universe and some of those non-canon sources. But I think at the end of the day, it definitely won't be a retelling of what was brought about in the books. Okay, so I think this is a good transition point though, because you talk about some weird things that might occur in that novel. Mm-hmm. There is something that we see. And I know it's based on what I've seen in some deep diving YouTube videos that some of this does occur in animation. But for the first time in live action, we see we see the witchcraft. We see the magic. We see the zombies like legit real zombies Mm -hmm. uh, essentially bringing back the undead because of the witches of Dathomir. Right. Am I saying yes? Yeah, the magic. So that was something that I thought was really interesting to see in Star Wars. It was different. I don't know how I feel about it yet because I think I kind of want to see it play out a little bit more. Sure. Um, I wish I had a little bit more explanation, but I know if I want the explanation, I have to just go back and watch the animated series. So give me your perception of seeing that in live action and did it feel as earned as how it felt in animation for you? Yeah, I think in animation, we see the reanimation only being used on the witches of Dathomir, the ones that have died. And I think the explanation there was we assumed that they had such a connection to each other and to the planet that that's why they were able to be reanimated by the magics. So here we're seeing them 
reanimate these corpses. Again, we don't know if these are stormtroopers in these uniforms that died when the ship came into this new galaxy or if these are some of the things that they brought up from the catacombs. Like, we don't know where these zombies are from. So I think for animation fans, the only thing we really have a leg up on is that we know that they were able to do this, but we only knew that it, they were able to do this for people within their uh, Night Sister community. And now that we're getting this kind of expansion of that to say, no, they can reanimate anything, at least to our knowledge right now. Mm -hmm. So I am excited about this. I know, <laughs> you know, zombies, when you bring up zombie things, people are like, oh, that was kind of played out at this point. Yeah. Um, but I actually do really love the idea of, I've said it before, like the cosmic horror elements of Star Wars that I don't think have been explored that much in live action and really have only been touched on in like the books and in animation. So I'm really actually excited for that. I'm also a huge like Halo fan. So I love the flood, like the whole zombie aspect of the flood. And that's another piece of like sci-fi kind of cosmic horror. So I, I really am excited to see where that goes. And I hope they lean into it a lot. Like, I hope it's not just Army of the Dead. Like, I, I do hope there are some, like, horror-esque themes and, and scenes in future Star Wars projects where it's, like, a village. Like, well, these stormtroopers, I thought stormtroopers were gone, and then they're, like, zombies. I don't know. I think that's really exciting and new for Star Wars, and I, I do hope they lean into it and don't just, like, sanitize it. Like, oh, no, they're just able to just get reanimated. <laughs> would you Would you want to see something in the realm of, like, a rated R? Like, No, no. I no, never right? want I never want rated R in Star Wars because that's that was never the intention of Star Wars to separate. Because it is, as George Lucas always says, it is for kids yes. at the end of the day. And I never want to – I never want to have them pushed out because we want to get a rated R zombie movie. That's definitely not what I want to see. But I – I do think that they have shown in Star Wars that they can get pretty graphic. I mean, between Andor, the grittiness and and the, I was going to say that's more even in Andor. terms of the adult themes. Yeah, I think that kind of plays more into what we can hope for and we can potentially expect in the future of Star Wars. Uh -huh. If we can start to we you still wanted to appeal to all audiences and there can be moments that serve more of a purpose because you have to think, too, at this point now. We're so many years and decades into Star Wars, like a lot of the people that grew up watching it are now older people. So yeah. and they're showing it to their kids, too. But there is within Star Wars, especially now and, and being owned by Disney, there's so many ways that it can also cater to kids. Mm -hmm. uh, I would agree that I don't know how badly I would want to see like something rated R in Star Wars, yeah. but something that would be gritty. And again, in that vein of like a Rogue One and Andor, but having like that horror element. Yeah. would be interesting to see going forward I yeah think. it's it's just something new and um i think there are a lot of like classic horror films that are pg-13 that i think are still you know something that kids can watch and they grow up and they like really love those movies like uh you know goonies isn't i wouldn't say like a horror movie but you know it's like a cult classic for like all ages and like there's horror elements in it and it can be scary at some moments but at the end of the day it is kind of a lighter take on the horror genre so i think that would be really fun for star wars yeah what did you uh so what did you think of the great sisters kind of inaugurating morgan elsbeth into sort of this sisterhood and we we yeah. see the scene where they welcome her in that was pretty graphic too that has some horror elements to it so yeah. her eyes just Completely. I thought they were going to kill her. I I actually thought because she failed to stop Ahsoka that Thrawn was like, oh, we're going to like, here you go. We're going to surprise you now. And then they were just going to like kill her. Like mm. your usefulness is ended. But then, yeah, we saw that she got knighted. By yeah, she gets sisters. she gets the blade of Ta Talzin, which I don't know if that's something that's been in. Mother Talzin was like the leader of the Night Sisters on Dathomir. Okay. So that was like a callback. Got to it. Clone Wars. So, so we see that um, a cool, cool piece of weaponry for her. Yeah. Uh, and... Again, this is a spoiler discussion, but again, we'll just give you the spoiler ahead of time. Yeah. Um, Morgan's the only death, yeah, in this in this finale, and to me, it was something that she just acts as this like pawn for Thrawn, not to <laughs> turn this into a rap song, yeah, but, pawn for Thrawn, <laughs> but she becomes this character, this secondary villain, and to me, it was just it was underwhelming, and we talked last week, and we'll get into. The more nuanced take on the whole Balin and Shin aspect of it, mm. but we had potentially talked about whether or not we thought that was going to be a battle that we saw take place, and if one of them was going to die, or if there was a possibility that we were going to lose one of the Jedi in this episode. Mm -hmm. But 
to me, it was something that that I think played into how we were both a little underwhelmed with the finale because that was something where there wasn't much stakes to that. The Great Sisters are all still alive. They're still with Thrawn. Yeah. So what did you think about her character in general for this season and and kind of, I guess, being knighted into this sisterhood? Yeah, I, I actually, again, we might not agree here, but I actually did enjoy that she didn't make it out. I enjoyed that she was essentially this pawn or this asset that Thrawn never really looked at as a not a friend like really like a companion like he really looked at her as a means to an end and when she he needed to finish that mission he's like for, for the empire right for for the empire and she's like yeah i, I guess so yeah and he's like thank you so much we're gonna go you stay here like i i actually did enjoy that you know it all was for nothing for her like and and she did have this i guess this nighting moment for her was kind of a a shining moment in her life. Yeah, like, that I guess was that's, exciting, that's, that's earned for her. I like guess. she was like really excited. And then when she got that knight knighthood and really a part of the Night Sisters, she was probably like, oh, wow, I'm going to be like the leader, like the frontline person. And and then she ends up, you know, it all gets swept out from under her. And I, I actually kind of like that. But uh, I agree, you know, there there is a there is some sort of hollow feeling. There. For, th for that to be the big thing that we Yeah, exactly. On. Like Morgan Elsbeth being the big, yeah, like, Anyone could have probably predicted that if yes. someone was someone was easy to kill off, it would be her. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. So I see what you're I do think about. it's interesting how I think we I think if I'm not mistaken, we we echoed the same sentiment in terms of the way this episode is making us both feel. But there are aspects of it that we're disagreeing on, which I think is super. interesting. I think it's cool. Yeah, I uh, I want to hear your thoughts on Thrawn again, because now we have, I guess, three episodes with him. We see he has. A little bit more screen time we see a little bit more of him because again in this episode the high point for me with him was that end speech i think everything leading up to that again i felt a little underwhelmed because it felt like the tactics didn't make sense like the whole concept of the hyperspace ring needing to be attached while they're hovering above that spire i don't really understand why that was necessary why couldn't they connect above the spire like why like it just felt very convenient like they needed a finale with a fight yeah. scene we need to stay this close to the spire so that our heroes can potentially jump on board when nothing in the scripts nothing really was given to us to say oh no this needs to happen right here like if thrawn knew that this whole process would take some time why wouldn't he bring the hyperspace ring down last episode while the heroes were far away and start that process earlier but again it just feels like convenience writing to have a battle i would i would agree with that and i do think unfortunately star wars leans so much on especially with this and it's weird too right because so many fans are so many star wars fans especially ones that i know personally are big into like lightsaber battles and that's what they've all what they grew up on and that's what they want to see more of right and that's what their star wars is to me i always appreciate the writing and the the setup of what the original trilogy was able to do and then how George was able to adapt and make it something different in the prequel trilogy, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I think that they do corner themselves sometimes where they do make it a little too convenient. Like that was something that it didn't bother me because it felt so secondary because it was just a chip connecting to something. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. it's a setup device that is very convenient mm -hmm. and it's – also leading to the fight scenes not really feeling as earned and as exactly. deep as they should yeah. feel, right? Right. In terms of Thrawn as a character, I really liked Lars Mikkelsen's performance. And again, he's been embedded and connected with the character since animation, since he voiced him. But to me, going back to the first time I even brought up what I had known or I had read, mm -hmm. which was a wrong assessment potentially <laughs> of what Thrawn was. Yeah. To me, this serves as a very similar approach to how Marvel did handle Thanos in maybe like Guardians. When he showed up in Guardians and he gets a little bit of screen time and you start to see – I think he has like three scenes in that movie – and the scenes kind of build off of one another. And then we get that moment where he's like pretty ruthless towards Ronan. I think that you see the same with Thrawn, but there's a much more reserved component to him. And I think this is just an introduction to eventually have him be this big bad that we're expecting to see in the Filoni movies. Mm -hmm. 
that is a lazy answer, but I do think that that is exactly what they're setting up to do. Right. Because they want a villain that's going to be through and through that they can rely on for at least, let's say we're in 2023. <laughs> they hope to rely on this character for at least the next seven to eight years through what these movies are going to be. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think the most important thing, again, that was, you know, a nitpick maybe, but again, I think, you know, there is some writing that should be, you know, there should be a standard there. But um, I think the the big thing that they needed to nail with Ron, which I think they did, was just his essence. And I think that has come across. I think everyone can agree, like, that felt like Thrawn, even if he doesn't live up to the the tacti tactical mastermind that they might have built him up to be. I think he still has some good moments here, but I think at the end of the day, there was a lot of things where they cut corners with him, and I think he could have proved it a little more, like the whole ground assault, the fact that like Ahsoka and them just run directly through the front door. I hated that, And by he the can't way. stop them. Yeah. And he like brags at the end, like, uh, I, I was able to predict your movements, and it's like, well, I mean, she ran right through the front door. So yeah. So how much did you actually? <laughs> yeah. Predict? Like, was there any? I wish in that case, I wish there was something that Ahsoka did that was unpredictable. I wish they had some red herring, or they did something that at least confused them just a bit. Like it didn't have to be anything crazy, but they literally just did a straight beeline, and it's like, can you really be scared of Thrawn if you can't stop three people from stopping com coming through the front door? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it doesn't. I think it doesn't set a good precedent, at least. Um, but that that was my thought. <laughs> I don't think it. May, I don't think it makes your villain as intelligent as you want him to seem. Exactly. I think that it's it's sort of hurt. And again, I I think it just goes back to writing. I think that mm -hmm. they really tried to do some innovative and different sort of things in that middle part of right after the episode three, which I think I was a little bit more disappointed than you were, which shows a lot of um, the air battle between Shin and uh, the space battle between Shin and Ahsoka. Mm hmm. Episodes four through six just felt so perfectly paced and written in a way where almost everything was setting us up for this big wrap up mm -hmm. and you don't get anything there and it leaves you underwhelmed, which I think, unfortunately, Star Wars is going down this path where and a lot of the Disney Plus series are. <laughs> we talked about a little bit off camera about how I think all of us in here are fans of Moon Knight, but the finale of Moon Knight just turns into this ridiculous yeah. giant action piece. <laughs> and you have this, even in that series, right? We have a villain in Ethan Hawke's character that is very manipulative and he's very psychological. And Thrawn, from my perspective, you get you get that, but you even have that in bite-sized pieces in this series, right? Because he doesn't come in until episode six. You start to get it a little bit like piece by piece. And you have that moment where they're running through to get into where the ship is being held. And like you said, there, there's nothing unique about that situation. There's nothing unique about that scene. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like laziness. It's, it reminds me about what you talked about last week too, when, uh, when Ahsoka comes into the battle, like out yeah. of nowhere, <laughs> when uh, Shin is facing off against Ezra and Sabine, yeah. it just felt like completely out of left field. And like, why are we doing this? Yeah. You and know? then again, uh, the sense of urgency that, the characters artificially had after their ship was shot down because it opens and their ship is just like lazily like drifting above the hermit crab people yeah, yeah but then once it gets shot down they're like oh we need to get to thrawn now it's like why didn't you just fly the ship towards thrawn In the if it was place. such an urgency like you're just killing time by and why do we care about i mean i know the hermit crab people they're cute i get it but like wh why do we have to hover above them like let's go we gotta stop thrawn. Yeah, let's yeah. go and then they get out and they're like okay now we need to get on the dogs let's go so again, it just sense of urgency was just artificial. Yeah, because of the writing, which that sucks. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Um, I want to transition for a second because we haven't talked too much about him as a character throughout when he's been uh, reintroduced for the live action fans and introduced to people like me. Ezra. Uh, Ezra. Yeah, let's talk about Ezra. Okay. I uh, I think we see the most of Ezra in this episode. I would argue. Maybe you see a little bit in the last episode too as well. But so much of that I think is embedded in a little bit lazier writing and you don't see as much action with him. And you it's a lot of just him and the Hermit Crab people, right? The little turtles. Yes. Um, I really liked him in this episode. And I really love his portrayal of the character and the playfulness that he brings, which uh, I think I can dissect from the things I've watched that is true to who the character is in animation. Yeah. So what do you think of his performance? And do you think that 
uh, Amen Asfandi does a good enough job kind of portraying portraying Ezra in live action. Yeah, I, I don't remember if I said this last week or not, but I, I actually prefer uh, this version of Ezra over the animated one. I Interesting. Think the animated one had, had has a really good journey, and there's a lot of interesting things that he goes through that, that are unique to him. And I think I like the concept of his character more than maybe the actual moments with the character i think there are a lot of moments in rebels where he does come off a little annoying and i don't think he ages he does age well but i think ahsoka even though she started out annoying as well in clone wars um she aged a lot better um and and maturely and ezra goes through that journey but i think sometimes he didn't come off as charismatic or charming as they wanted him to but i think aman he does it immediately like from the first scene i've been like very into his performance and i am excited to see him back with the crew and and where where he's gonna go now that he's back in the new in the known galaxy with hera yeah i th- i think that sabine is the character to me that unfortunately there are moments of annoy annoyance that i get from mm-hmm. her and i think natasha Lupor Dizo does a good job yeah but the character in general there's just aspects of her and decisions that she makes along the way which somewhat gets reconciled at the end, but there's still aspects of, again, I think it comes back to writing where they could have written it in a better way to get us to the trajectory. uh, Just more well-rounded in terms of forming that relationship between Ahsoka and her as master Padawan. I think we'll continue to see that in what I think is going to be a season two. I think we're going to see a season two of the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't know. There, there's there's aspects of, unfortunately, the wrap-up of where we're at with this that leaves me with wanting more. And want, I, I appreciate the character portrayals. I appreciate uh, aspects of what Filoni went for. But it keeps taking me back to these Star Wars series where they're it's like nitpicking. Like you have to find things you really like about it exactly. to say it was good. Yeah, exactly. And that, that to me sucks because you want something that – you can be completely enamored by it. And at the end, you could be like, man, this was a really great chapter in the Star Wars saga. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, it's like, oh, I really like this, this, and this of it. But then, you know, it really kind of falls off a little bit. And, you know, it starts a little slow, but then it picks up and then it kind of ends. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. And yeah, it leads to the conversation. It leads to theorizing. It's good for online, right? It's good yeah. for banter. Yeah. But at the same time, you want something that feels, uh, it has to feel good in the moment. Yes. And then you can also have those theories, like the theories and stuff, but it has to still stand on its own feet. Uh, and I think by the end of the season, we're more excited about the future than what we just saw. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Yeah, and I think that's that sucks because that's not really what you want to go for when you're talking about television and, and film. I mean, yeah. in general, like even in, in terms of – I know we're talking about two different animals here, but things like <laughs> Breaking Bad, like you're, you're – you're curious to see where the characters are going to go, but a season will wrap up and you'll be like, Jesus, what a that season, amazing, man. Yeah. Like, oh my God, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. And the thing is, it leaves you with such a weird taste in your mouth where you're like, ah, I'm not <laughs> like really excited to return to th- this version of the show. If this is what it's going to be when the season starts next season. Right, yeah. But then you lead into something where it's like the premiere of season two is probably going to be this great bombastic thing that kind of hooks you right back in. And you're like, I'm back on board. Back in. <laughs> and that's what Star Wars is, has been doing, kind of manipulating certain fans, I feel like, and, and pulling our heartstrings and making you feel a certain way if you're not completely enamored with everything that has to do with Star Wars. They just keep kind of pulling you back in. So I don't know. If you could give a rating to this season. Oh, God. I know. So um, if if you could give – and I know it's hard because, again, certain episodes. But do you think that there is like a a rating in your mind that you'd be able to give this kind of based on – and, again, it could change. You're going to watch the series again, I'm sure. I'm like – I'm never like a ratings person. I don't do any ratings on my channel. Uh, I think – I'll take this as an objective full package. I'll say – and I go like IMDb rating. So like like 10 is like unheard of in IMDb. Yeah, yeah. So like these are this might sound harsh, but it's really not. Uh like a seven five. I was gonna say I'm probably in the same range. Yeah. Like so there's, there's, really high, there's really high moments, there's low moments. I'm excited for the future, but I wasn't blown away. And I think like a seven five is kind of where my my middle ground is for this just like as a whole package, I think. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that I think there are moments in the beginning that 
I, I also wanted to see more with Hera, I think. We do see, I mean, she is a side character. I'm, and I'm going to guess next season or next continuation of the show, like she's going to be the essentially the the main force against Thrawn at this point. So like Thrawn's now back in the known galaxy and Hera's the general in the in the new Republic and her and Ezra are now going to have to go like head to head with Thrawn. And I think that's actually a good thing for Thrawn because now there's less main characters and less plot armor. So I think his victories will hopefully be a lot bigger, a lot more earned, a lot better because he's not having to ultimately kneel to the main characters of the show. Yeah, yeah. So I actually like where they've set it up now where it's like Sabine and Ahsoka can't intervene and it's just Hera and, and Ezra and, and the New Republic. I mean, I know Din is out there. I know Luke is there, but yeah, I mean... It's they- interesting too, though, if that's going to be a season two of a series and we're just going to keep it named Ahsoka and yeah, not yeah. that Ahsoka is going to be relegated to a yeah. side character, but... If that is the way they decide to go with it, right? Ahsoka and Sabine are in a completely different location. I don't know why they love... I mean, Disney Plus has just loved to name everything after characters instead yep. of like having interesting names like Andor, Ahsoka, Loki. Like, Well, what? they might be trying that. I mean, we're, we have the, some of these other shows that are in production or were in production prior to the Acolyte, SAG strike. Cool. <laughs> so we have the Acolyte, Skeleton, Skeleton Crew. Yeah, crew. So <laughs> they're changing their... Cha- and Mandalorian, again, like we're yeah. at least acting within... Uh, and people were calling him Mando for a long time, but now we know what his name is. And baby, yeah. like again, it's like making a series now called Baby Yoda, even though the character's <laughs> yeah. name isn't actually Baby Yoda. Exactly. But um, we did give our rating basically similar. But I did want to kind of finish off with a conversation, just because unfortunately I even forgot about it in our discussion right now because <laughs> of how little we see from Shin and Balin. We yeah. go from the seventh episode where we get very little of Morgan Elsbeth and Thrawn. And of course, our heroes defeat uh, Shin and Balin somewhat in mm-hmm. episode seven. They kind of both just flee in their own ways mm-hmm. and they are going toward Thrawn and Morgan Elspeth. But we see nothing with these characters until the very end. Yeah, in a montage. <laughs> and it's there, there's not even words spoken. And so yeah. the one thing which we've talked about previously, Ray Stevenson unfortunately passed away before this series went to air. Uh, he filmed the whole season. They again, we don't even know if there's co- going to be a season two coming. We are anticipating that that will happen. Um, but he sadly has passed on. So we leave this episode. My prediction was right. Balin is still alive. So they're going to have to recast the character, which sucks, which sucks because he does such a fantastic job in the role. But what did you think about like even so for someone who. I don't know if that was something from animation. Like he goes to basically like this oh, yeah. monument. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he goes to this monument. Yeah. If you could tell me and the audience a little bit about that for who isn't aware of it. Uh, yeah, I'll try. And <laughs> what you think is going to kind of turn for these two characters. I think they're two really, really great. I don't want to say they, they're well-developed. They're a little underdeveloped, but I think that you leave a lot to build off of these characters, which I really appreciate because that is something Star Wars doesn't do <laughs> where the supporting characters sort of just get relegated and they either die or we really never see them ever again. Mm-hmm. These two characters, I thought Dave really had a good handle on and a real dedication and passion toward. Yeah. So in general, I would say they're two of my favorite characters from the season. I love that they're new characters and I'm curious on your thoughts of how they wrap that up and like I said, that moment that Balin has, at least with that monument that we yeah, see. Yeah, I, I will try to to explain that because that's even hard to explain for Star Wars fans because okay. it's kind of nebulous. But um, yeah, I, I think I would definitely agree. Like you have this huge buildup with these two characters that I think a lot of people would argue are the strongest part of the season for them. Like that was a highlight for them was the Shin and Balin relationship. And then in the finale, you don't really get it at all. And I, I think there might be a conversation to be had there that they might have cut out some of those scenes because of the unfortunate passing of Ray, and they said maybe we don't want to show too much at this point, and we just want to kind of leave it more open ended than have something. Okay, maybe there's something like that happening. Uh, I really love Shin as a character. I think there's such an interesting way they can go about her journey. I, I like that she does go back to the the Marauders, and now will be this warlord type of character, this power and ambition that she's talked about all season. She'll finally get it and she'll be that you know main antagonistic force for ahsoka and sabine on the planet itself because mm. balin's kind of going to be off on his journey um balin yeah he okay so he's standing on the, these three monuments they're they're of the mortis gods these mortis gods are essentially like pillars or icons of the force they represent 
what the force is. So there's the father, that's the middle, the balance, and then the son was off to the right, dark side, and then the daughter is supposed to be that other statue, but it's destroyed. She's supposed to be the light side. So just think of them as icons of the different pillars of the force. We've seen them in Clone Wars in a very, very uh, nebulous kind of arc where there's no real confirmation that it's true or not it happened or not but ahsoka obi-wan and anakin go on this journey and it feels like a dark side cave or like a force vision kind of thing but they do go through this kind of conflict with the mortis gods and the mortis gods are essentially kind of they feel like the epicenter of the force like it all flows through them and they physically represent the force so i think what they're trying to say here is that, you know, Balin is standing there and he is trying to find maybe where they originate from, where that epicenter of the force is. And they're just trying to say like, hey, Balin's on this journey and the end of his journey could be something that <clears throat> is, you know, something that changes the universe. But I, 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 I can't really explain the Mortis Gods. It's very hard to do because, like I said, people that love Star Wars and know Star Wars are still discussing what that what arc it could was about mean. Yeah. in Clone Wars. And, you know, my friend Cole, who you know, me and him just had a conversation about the Mortis Gods like a couple weeks ago. And like, I have this theory about what happened and he has this theory what happened. And neither of them are incorrect to Dave Filoni. So yeah. it's very hard for me to explain them, but I hope that was... No, I thought that was somewhat, a really good job of ...somewhat helpful. It. And yeah, if you do rewatch Clone Wars, which I hope this show, at least at the end of the day, had you excited to maybe do? I think I, I think I definitely, I not that I wasn't, not that I was opposed right. previously, yeah, yeah, exactly. but I think having this connection with the live action now too, yeah. and understanding some of the characters at least somewhat, yeah. I think it's going to lead me to get to it sooner. I yeah. think I'm going to want to kind of figure out who these characters were mm -hmm. and kind of see, again, Filoni is a storyteller too, I was being say, fully like, fleshed out. Unfo yeah, unfortunately, if this this is probably a lot of people's main introduction to Filoni being a showrunner, and I think it's his weakest outing as a showrunner compared to Rebels and Clone Wars. So I really encourage people that this is, if this is their first time seeing Filoni, like I wouldn't, you know, judge or consider all of his work to be to this caliber. Like, I would definitely go back and see Clone Wars or Rebels, and I think you'll see, you know, what he's capable of and how he's garnered this reputation that he now has with Star Wars fans. Um, and we do have to, you know, we do have to consider that this is his first live action show running experience, yeah. and there's going to be some growing pains there. Unfortunately, it's growing pains with a story that was continued. It wasn't just a new story that. If he messed it up, or not saying he completely messed this up, but if he did mess it up, there's a little bit more room to be like, oh, okay, that's fine. But this was a continuation yes. of the story. So there's so much canon involved as well. Yeah, so it, it was hard. I knew <clears throat> the switch of mediums would always be something that was either going to be, you know, solid or it was going to bite him in the ass. And I think it's kind of living in between there right now. <clears throat> yeah, I think that um, I think he did a really solid job for it being his first live action outing but again i don't know so much in the context of the animated story but i do know that a lot of people love his storytelling abilities in animation uh -huh. and he did rebels and clone wars right he yep. sure ran all of it yep yep so i am interested to see i'm really interested to see if he doesn't get a second season of this show oh god <laughs> and we oh god. go into the feature that'll start to scare me a bit because I, and we've seen him direct multiple episodes of all the Disney plus series. And I think for the most part, majority of the episodes, if not all the episodes that he's directed have been really great. Yes. So again, show running an entire season of television is different than directing an episode of television, just like directing an episode of television and show running is very different than a feature film in the star Wars universe, mm -hmm. because this is going to be something that they're playing so much to, they have to do really well with these feature film adaptations that we start to see coming back to theaters. Cause by the time his film comes out, if Ray's movie does wind up even coming out before that, which as of now it's supposed to, but star Wars is <laughs> known to know. change. <laughs> so if this winds up becoming the first film back in theaters, that's a lot of weight on Dave's shoulders. Uh, I do think he can handle it, but I think I would really prefer and hope to see that we get a second season of Ahsoka and I think the perfect way to wrap this up mm -hmm. is like we just talked about the name of the series is Ahsoka 
we get a lot out of a lot of characters in this. I think Ahsoka has one very contained episode that uh, we are going to talk about in a future podcast because we unfortunately didn't get to record episode five, but it's one that we both love. It's very near and dear to our hearts. Mm-hmm. But for the series as a whole and Rosario's portrayal as Ahsoka and Ahsoka as a character in continuation in live action, how did that? How does that feel to you? Does that feel something that you you give a big stamp of approval? Is it something that you feel good about where her character is, but there's still specific elements that you really want to see? Or did you think that it was pretty underwhelming in terms of, again, the whole show is being marketed as being Ahsoka Tano. And of course it's not. And we know that that's not always what it's going to be in Star Wars anyway. I mean, season three of Mandalorian, though it is a little different because it's not based on a character name. A lot of that focus goes to Bo-Katan, yeah. right? And you could say Andor, same thing. Exactly. Like Andor is a very small catalyst in all of in all of the show. And yeah. It's mostly about the other, you know, main characters, and he just kind of catalyzes all those little reactions yes. to each other. But so. I do think even in yeah. Andor, I think so much of the story is driven through Cassian. Yes. With this, I don't know, in my own personal opinion, how much of that would correlate to how I feel about Ahsoka Tano being the main focus and mm-hmm. i don't know if that plays to rosario's portrayal i don't know if that plays to the writing i don't know if it's so i'm curious on on what you think as we wrap up us talking about season one or potentially the only mm-hmm. season because we're still unaware at this point of recording of the disney plus series ahsoka yeah i i think this was meant to be rebel season five so i think this was likely a marketing thing mm-hmm. where they needed to name it something that would draw eyes unfortunately because Rebels was a animated series, if you named it Rebels Season 5, I think a large portion of the audience that didn't watch it or was unaware of it would just say, what, uh, what is this? Like, why? I don't even know what this is talking about. And then you also have the Rebels audience that's kind of like, oh, well, now we're just changing mediums, but it's the same show. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, imagine if, uh, like, you talk about Breaking Bad. Like, Breaking Bad Season 5 will be animated. It's like, what? wait, what? Yeah, yeah. So I think... I think at the end of the day, it probably was a marketing thing unless of Dave Filoni saying, I want to name this Ahsoka. I think at the end of the day, he probably did want to just do this as Rebel Season 5, but Disney was like, uh, well, we need a recognizable name and that will draw more eyes than naming it Rebel. So, sorry, not a uh, not a not an answer to the exact question, not really about the show itself, but more on like the outside part of the show. Mm. But I think that's probably the main reason. Um, Ahsoka herself, Rosaria, I think... By the end, I was convinced that she was Ahsoka, which I think is a good thing. But again, I don't think this hit the same as it would have if it was Ashley Eckstein still playing the character in animation. I think that was something I was hoping that would might change. I don't think it would ever reach Ashley Eckstein, but I would hope I was hoping it would change a bit more. I think she still did a great job in the big moments like episode five. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think she reached what Ashley Eckstein probably could have done with the character in this season. And that again, might come down to the writing, not having enough time to flesh it out over eight episodes or um, it was the, uh, the suits at yeah. Disney. <laughs> it could be a combination of all of it. Too. It could. And likely it is. It's never usually yeah, one thing. <laughs> exactly. But mm-hmm. I've had a lot of fun doing these recaps and yes, these spoiler yes. discussions <laughs> with you throughout the eight weeks that we've been seven weeks, I guess yeah. that we've been talking about it. We, uh, we do love Star Wars. We we enjoy the conversation. We really enjoy you guys getting to listen and watch our conversations. Uh, if you guys don't already, be sure to subscribe to the channel. We are the Culture Wave Media Network. You can also follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Cinema Wave Media for this specific podcast. And again, make sure you guys also follow uh, Mark's Instagram for Star Wars Market Balance if you want to just give them that information again. Sure. On Instagram at star underscore wars underscore market balance. Only on Instagram. So find me there. <laughs> Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I really enjoyed the conversation. And I'm just going to sign off. I'm Darian Scalamoni. I'm Mark Alcabino. Thanks, guys. (laughs) And thank you, guys. We'll see you next time.